Section 7 of Thrilling Adventures by Land and Sea by James O. Brayman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 7. A Storm Among the Icebergs To prevent the ships separating during the fog, it was necessary to keep fast to the heavy piece of ice which we had between them as a fender, and with a reduced amount of sail on them, we made some way through the pack. As we advanced in this novel mode to the southwest, we found the ice became more open and the westerly swell increasing as the wind varied to the northwest at midnight we found it impossible any longer to hold on by the flow piece all our hawsers breaking in succession we made sail on the ships and kept company during the thick fog by firing guns and by means of the usual signals under the shelter of a berg of nearly a mile in diameter we dodged about during the whole day waiting for clear weather that we might select the best lead through the dispersing pack but at nine p m the wind suddenly freshened to a violent gale from the northward compelling us to reduce our sails to a close-reefed main topsail and storm staysails the sea quickly rising to a fearful height breaking over the loftiest bergs we were unable any longer to hold our ground but were driven into the heavy pack under our lee soon after midnight our ships were involved in an ocean of rolling fragments of ice hard as floating rocks of granite which were dashed against them by the waves with so much violence that their masts quivered as if they would fall at every successive blow and the destruction of the ships seemed inevitable from the tremendous shocks they received by backing and filling the sails we endeavoured to avoid collision with the larger masses but this was not always possible in the early part of the storm the rudder of the erebus was so much damaged as to be no longer of any use and about the same time i was informed by signal that the terrors was completely destroyed and nearly torn away from the stern post we had hoped that as we drifted deeper into the pack we should get beyond the reach of the tempest but in this we were mistaken hour passed away after hour without the least mitigation of the awful circumstances in which we were placed indeed there seemed to be but little probability of our ships holding together much longer so frequent and violent were the shocks they sustained the loud crashing noise of the straining and working of the timbers and decks as she was driven against some of the heavier pieces which all the activity and exertions of our people could not prevent was sufficient to fill the stoutest heart that was not supported by trust in him who controls all events with dismay at two p m the storm gained its height when the barometer stood at twenty-eight forty inches and after that time began to rise although we had been forced many miles deeper into the pack we could not perceive that the swell had at all subsided our ships still rolling and groaning amid the heavy fragments of crushing bergs over which the ocean rolled its mountainous waves throwing huge masses one upon another and then again burying them deep beneath its foaming waters dashing and grinding them together with fearful violence the awful grandeur of such a scene can neither be imagined nor described nor less can the feelings of those who witnessed it be understood 
each of us secured our hold waiting the issue with resignation to the will of him who alone could preserve us and bring us safely through this extreme danger watching with breathless anxiety the effect of each succeeding collision and the vibrations of the tottering masts expecting every moment to see them give way without our having the power to make an effort to save them although the force of the wind had somewhat diminished by four o'clock yet the squalls came on with unabated violence laying the ship over on her broadside and threatening to blow the storm sails to pieces fortunately they were quite new or they never could have withstood such terrific gusts at this time the terror was so close to us that when she rose to the top of one wave the Arabus was on the top of that next to leeward of her the deep chasm between them filled with heavy rolling masses and as the ships descended into the hollow between the waves the main topsail yard of each could be seen just level with the crest of the intervening wave from the deck of the other from this some idea may be formed of the height of the waves as well as of the perilous situation of our ships the night now began to draw on and cast its gloomy mantle over the appalling scene rendering our condition if possible more hopeless and helpless than before but at midnight the snow which had been falling thickly for several hours cleared away as the wind suddenly shifted to the westward and the swell began to subside and although the shocks our ships still sustained were such that must have destroyed any ordinary vessel in less than five minutes yet they were feeble compared to those to which we had been exposed and our minds became more at ease for their ultimate safety during the darkness of night and thick weather we had been carried through a chain of bergs which were seen in the morning considerably to windward and which served to keep off the heavy pressures of the pack so that we found the ice much more open and i was enabled to make my way in one of our boats to the terror about whose condition i was most anxious for i was aware that her damages were of a much more serious nature than those of the Arabus, notwithstanding the skilful and seamanlike manner in which she had been managed and by which she maintained her appointed station throughout the gale i found that her rudder was completely broken to pieces and the fastenings to the stern-post so much strained and twisted that it would be difficult to get the spare rudder with which we were fortunately provided fitted so as to be useful and could only be done if at all under very favourable circumstances the other damages she had sustained were of less consequence and it was as great a satisfaction as it has ever since been a source of astonishment to us to find that after so many hours of constant and violent thumping both the vessels were nearly as tight as they were before the gale we can only ascribe this to the admirable manner in which they had been fortified for the service and to our having their holes so stowed as to form a solid mass throughout fall of the rossberg the summer of eighteen o six had been very rainy and on the first and second of september it rained incessantly 
new crevices were observed in the flank of the mountain a sort of cracking noise was heard internally stones started out of the ground detached fragments of rocks rolled down the mountain at two o'clock in the afternoon on the second of september a large rock became loose and in falling raised a cloud of black dust toward the lower part of the mountain the ground seemed pressed down from above and when a stick or a spade was driven in it moved of itself a man who had been digging in his garden ran away from fright at these extraordinary appearances soon a fissure larger than all the others was observed insensibly it increased springs of water ceased all at once to flow the pine trees of the forest absolutely reeled the birds flew away screaming a few minutes before five o'clock the symptoms of some mighty catastrophe became still stronger the whole surface of the mountain seemed to glide down but so slowly as to afford time to the inhabitants to go away an old man who had often predicted some such disaster was quietly smoking his pipe when told by a young man running by that the mountain was in the act of falling he rose and looked out but came into his house again saying he had time to fill another pipe the young man continuing to fly was thrown down several times and escaped with difficulty looking back he saw the house carried off all at once another inhabitant being alarmed took two of his children and ran away with them calling to his wife to follow with the third but she went in for another who still remained marianne aged five just then francisca ulrich their servant was crossing the room with this marianne whom she held by the hand and saw her mistress at that instant as francisca afterwards said the house appeared to be torn from its foundations it was of wood and spun round and round like a teetotum i was sometimes on my head and sometimes on my feet in total darkness and violently separated from the child when the motion stopped she found herself jammed in on all sides with her head downward much bruised and in extreme pain she supposed she was buried alive at a great depth with much difficulty she disengaged her right hand and wiped the blood from her eyes presently she heard the faint moans of marianne and called her by her name the child answered that she was on her back among stones and bushes which held her fast but that her hands were free and that she saw the light and then something green she asked whether people would not come soon to take them out francisca answered that it was the day of judgment and that no one was left to help them but that they would be released by death and be happy in heaven they prayed together at last francisca's ear was struck by the sound of a bell which she knew to be that of stenberg then seven o'clock struck in another village and she began to hope there were still living beings and endeavoured to comfort the child the poor little girl was at first clamorous for her supper but her cries soon became fainter and at last quite died away francisca still with her head downward and surrounded with damp earth experienced a sense of cold in her feet almost insupportable after prodigious efforts she succeeded in disengaging her legs and thinks this saved her life 
many hours had passed in this situation when she again heard the voice of marianne who had been asleep and now renewed her lamentations in the meantime the unfortunate father who with much difficulty had saved himself and two children wandered about till daylight when he came among the ruins to look for the rest of his family he soon discovered his wife by a foot which appeared above the ground she was dead with a child in her arms his cries and the noise he made in digging were heard by marianne who called out she was extricated with a broken thigh and saying that francisca was not far off a farther search led to her release also but in such a state that her life was despaired of she was blind for some days and remained subject to convulsive fits of terror it appeared that the house or themselves at least had been carried down about one thousand five hundred feet from where it stood before in another place a child two years old was found unhurt lying on his straw mattress upon the mud without any vestige of the house from which he had been separated such a mass of earth and stones rushed at once into the lake of Sowerty, although five miles distant that one end of it was filled up and a prodigious wave passing completely over the island of Shuanu, seventy feet above the usual level of the water overwhelmed the opposite shore and as it returned swept away into the lake many houses with their inhabitants the chapel of olton built of wood was found half a league from the place it had previously occupied and many large blocks of stone completely changed their position simon switzerland the rifleman of chippewa at the time of the french and indian wars the american army was encamped on the plains of chippewa Colonel St. Clair, the commander, was a bold and meritorious officer, but there was mixed with his bravery a large share of rashness or indiscretion. His rashness, in this case, consisted in encamping on an open plain beside a thick wood, from which an Indian scout could easily pick off his outposts, without being exposed in the least to the fire of the sentinel five nights had passed and every night he had been surprised by the disappearance of a sentry who stood at a lonely post in the vicinity of the forest these repeated disasters had struck such a dread into the breasts of the remaining soldiers that no one would volunteer to take the post and the commander knowing it would be throwing away their lives let it remain unoccupied several nights at length a rifleman of the virginia corps volunteered his services he was told the danger of the duty but he laughed at the fears of his comrades saying he would return safe to drink the health of his commander in the morning the guard marched up soon after and he shouldered his rifle and fell in he arrived at his bounds and bidding his fellow sentinels good-night assumed the duties of his post the night was dark from the thick clouds that overspread the firmament no star shone on the sentinel as he paced his lonely path and naught was heard but the mournful hoot of the owl as she raised her nightly wail from the withered branch of the venerable oak at length a low rustling among the bushes on the right caught his ear he gazed long toward the spot whence the sound seemed to proceed but saw nothing save the impenetrable gloom of the thick forest which surrounded the encampment then as he marched onward he heard the joyful cry of all's well after which he seated himself upon a stump and fell into a reverie 
while he thus sat a savage entered the open space behind and after buckling his tunic with numerous folds tight around his body drew over his head the skin of a wild boar with the natural appendages of those animals thus accoutred he walked past the soldier who seeing the object approach quickly stood upon his guard but a well-known grunt eased his fears and he suffered it to pass it being too dark for any one to discover the cheat the beast as it appeared to be quietly sought the thicket to the left it was nearly out of sight when through a sudden break in the clouds the moon shone bright upon it the soldier then perceived the ornamented moccasin of an indian and quick as thought prepared to fire but fearing lest he might be mistaken and thus needlessly alarm the camp and also supposing if he were right the other savages would be near at hand he refrained and having a perfect knowledge of indian subtlety and craft quickly took off his coat and cap and after hanging them on the stump where he had reclined secured his rifle and softly groped his way toward the thicket he had barely reached it when the whizzing of an arrow passed his head and told him of the danger he had escaped turning his eyes toward a small spot of cleared land within the thicket he perceived a dozen of the same animals uh, sitting on their hind legs instead of feeding on the acorns which at this season lay plentifully upon the surface of the leaves and listening attentively he heard them conversing in the iroquois tongue the substance of their conversation was that if the sentinel should not discover them the next evening as soon as the moon should afford them sufficient light for their operations they would make an attack upon the american camp then they quitted their rendezvous and soon their tall forms were lost in the gloom of the forest the soldier now returned to his post and found the arrow sunk deep in the stump it having passed through the breast of his coat he directly returned to the encampment and desired the orderly at the marquis to inform the commander of his wish to speak with him having information of importance to communicate he was admitted and having been heard the colonel bestowed on him the vacant post of lieutenant of the corps and directed him to be ready with a picket guard to march at eight o'clock in the evening to the spot he had occupied the night before where he was to place his hat and coat upon the stump and then lie in ambush for the intruders accordingly the party proceeded and obeyed the colonel's orders the moon rose but shone dimly through the thick branches of the forest while the new lieutenant was waiting the result of his manoeuvre an arrow whizzed from the same quarter as before the mock soldier fell on his face a dozen subdued voices sounded from within the thicket which were soon followed by the sudden appearance of the indians themselves they barely reached the stump when our hero gave the order to fire and the whole band were stretched dead upon the plain after stripping them of their arms and trappings, the Americans returned to the camp. Twelve chiefs fell at the destructive fire of the white men, and their fall was undoubtedly one great cause of the French and Indian wars with the English. The fortunate riflemen, who had originated and conducted the ambuscade, returned from the war at its termination with a competency. He was not again heard of until the parent country raised her arm against the infant colonies. Then was seen at the head of a band of Virginia riflemen our hero as the brave and gallant Colonel Morgan. Shipwreck of the Blendenhall 
in the year eighteen twenty one the blenden hall free trader bound from england for bombay partly laden with broadcloths was proceeding on her voyage with every prospect of a successful issue while thus pursuing her way through the atlantic she was unfortunately driven from her course by adverse winds and currents more to the southward and westward than was required and it became desirable to reach the island of tristran de Cacuña in order to ascertain and rectify the reckoning it was while steering to reach this group of islands that one morning a passenger on board the blendenhall who chanced to be up on deck earlier than usual observed great quantities of seaweed occasionally floating alongside this excited some alarm and a man was immediately sent aloft to keep a good lookout the weather was then extremely hazy though moderate the weeds continued all were on the alert they shortened sail and the boatswain piped for breakfast in less than ten minutes breakers ahead startled every soul and in a moment all were on deck breakers starboard breakers larboard breakers all around was the ominous cry a moment afterward and all was confusion the words were scarcely uttered when and before the helm was up the ill-fated ship struck and after a few tremendous shocks against the sunken reef she parted about midship ropes and stays were cut away all rushed forward as if instinctively and had barely reached the forecastle when the stern and quarter-deck broke asunder with a violent crash and sunk to rise no more two of the seamen miserably perished the rest including officers passengers and crew held on about the head and bows the struggle was for life at this moment the inaccessible island which till then had been veiled in thick clouds and mist appeared frowning above the haze the wreck was more than two miles from the frightful shore the base of the island was still buried in impenetrable gloom in this perilous extremity one was for cutting away the anchor which had been got up to the cathead in time of need another was for cutting down the foremast the foretop mast being already by the board the fog totally disappeared and the black rocky island stood in all its rugged deformity before their eyes suddenly the sun broke out in full splendour as if to expose more clearly to the view of the sufferers their dreadful predicament despair was in every bosom death arrayed in all its terrors seemed to hover over the wreck but exertion was required and everything that human energy could devise was effected the wreck on which all eagerly clung was fortunately drifted by the tide and wind between the ledges of sunken rocks and thundering breakers until after the lapse of several hours it entered the only spot on the island where a landing was possibly practicable for all the other parts of the coast consisted of perpendicular cliffs of granite rising from amid the deafening surf to the height of twenty forty and sixty feet as the shore was neared a raft was prepared and on this a few paddled for the cove at last the wreck drove right in ropes were instantly thrown out and the crew and passengers except two who had been crushed in the wreck including three ladies and a female attendant were snatched from the watery grave which a few short hours before had appeared inevitable and safely landed on the beach evening had now set in and every effort was made to secure whatever could be saved from the wreck 
bales of cloth cases of wine a few boxes of cheese some hams the carcass of a milk cow that had been washed on shore buckets tubs butts a seaman's chest containing a tinder box and needles and thread with a number of elegant mahogany turned bedposts and part of an investment for the india market were got on shore the rain poured down in torrents all hands were busily at work to procure shelter from the weather and with the bedposts and broadcloths and part of the foresail as many tents were soon pitched as there were individuals on the island drenched with the sea and with the rain hungry cold and comfortless thousands of miles from their native land almost beyond expectation of human succour hope nearly annihilated the shipwrecked voyagers retired to their tents in the morning the wreck had gone to pieces and planks and spars and whatever had floated in were eagerly dragged on shore no sooner was the unfortunate ship broken up than deeming themselves freed from the bonds of authority many began to secure whatever came to land and the captain officers passengers and crew were now reduced to the same level and obliged to take their turn to fetch water and explore the island for food the work of exploring was soon over there was not a bird nor a quadruped nor a single tree to be seen all was barren and desolate the low parts were scattered over with stones and sand and a few stunted weeds rocks ferns and other plants the top of the mountain was found to consist of a fragment of original tableland very marshy and full of deep sloughs intersected with small rills of water pure and pellucid as crystal and a profusion of wild parsley and celery the prospect was one dreary scene of destitution without a single ray of hope to relieve the misery of the desponding crew after some days the dead cow hams and cheese were consumed and from one end of the island to the other not a morsel of food could be seen even the celery began to fail a few bottles of wine which for security had been secreted underground only remained famine now began to threaten every stone near the sea was examined for shellfish but in vain in this dreadful extremity and while the half-famished seamen were at night squatting in sullen dejection around their fires a large lot of sea-birds allured by the flames rushed into the midst of them and were greedily laid hold of as fast as they could be seized for several nights in succession similar flocks came in and by multiplying their fires a considerable supply was secured these visits however ceased at length and the wretched party were exposed again to the most severe privation when their stock of wild fowl had been exhausted for more than two days each began to fear they were now approaching that sad point of necessity when between death and casting lots who should be sacrificed to serve for food for the rest no alternative remained while horror at the bare contemplation of an extremity so repulsive occupied the thoughts of all the horizon was observed to be suddenly obscured and presently clouds of penguins alighted on the island the low grounds were actually covered and before the evening was dark the sand could not be seen for the number of eggs which like a sheet of snow lay on the surface of the earth the penguins continued on the island four or five days when as if by signal the whole took their flight and were never seen again 
a few were killed but the flesh was so extremely rank and nauseous that it could not be eaten the eggs were collected and dressed in all manner of ways and supplied abundance of food for upward of three weeks at the expiration of that period famine once more seemed inevitable the third morning began to dawn upon the unfortunate company after their stock of eggs were exhausted they had now been without food for more than forty hours and were fainting and dejected when as though this desolate rock were really a land of miracles a man came running up to the encampment with the unexpected and joyful tidings that millions of sea-cows had come on shore the crew climbed over the ledge of rocks that flanked their tents and the sight of a shoal of manatees immediately beneath them gladdened their hearts these came in with the flood and were left in the puddles between the broken rocks of the cove this supply continued for two or three weeks the flesh was mere blubber and quite unfit for food for not a man could retain it on his stomach but the liver was excellent and on this they subsisted in the meantime the carpenter with his gang had constructed a boat and four of the men had adventured in her for tristan da cunha in hopes of ultimately extricating their fellow sufferers from their perilous situation unfortunately the boat was lost whether carried away by the violence of the currents that set in between the islands or dashed to pieces against the breakers was never known for no vestige of the boat or crew was ever seen before the manatees however began to quit the shore a second boat was launched and in this an officer and some seamen made a second attempt and happily succeeded in effecting a landing after much labour on the island it was to this island that the boat's crew of the blendenhall had beat their course and its principal inhabitant governor glass showed them every mark of attention on learning the situation of the crew on inaccessible island he instantly launched his boat and unawed by considerations of personal danger hastened at the risk of his life to deliver his shipwrecked countrymen from the calamities they had so long endured he made repeated trips surmounted all difficulties and fortunately succeeded in safely landing them on his own island after they had been exposed for nearly three months to the horrors of a situation almost unparalleled in the recorded sufferings of seafaring men after being hospitably treated by glass and his company for three months the survivors obtained a passage to the cape all except a young sailor named white who had formed an attachment to one of the servant girls on board and who in all the miseries which had been endured had been her constant protector and companion while gratitude on her part prevented her wishing to leave him both chose to remain and were forthwith adopted as free citizens of the little community End of section seven.